Welcome to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to The Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kuzmeski. Today I'm interviewing Elaine Beadle, and Elaine has over 35 years of experience in the financial services industry. Her firm is one of the most successful in the nation. She's received countless accolades and awards for service. She's a philanthropist and also a media personality. I am thrilled to be able to talk with Elaine Beadle today. Welcome, Elaine, to the Female Red Zone. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thank you. And so I, I want to start off by asking you one question. Um, and that is, you know, the one thing that I see when I look at you and all of the things that you've done is someone who's been incredibly busy, successful, you know, active in the community and your family. How do you manage it all? Is there a secret? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you'd have to ask, do you manage it very well? Uh, that might be the biggest question. You may get different answers depending on who you ask. Um, <laughs> you know, it's in this kind of a business, when you own a business like this, I just kind of adopted quite early. It's a 24-hour job. And uh, you, because you do, you think about it when you're not at the office. You're actually doing some work when you're not at the office generally. And I just had to say, we're going to balance this in a way that I know it's a 24-hour job or any 24 hours of the day that I want to work is available to me, let's put it that way. And the family stuff gets pulled in when, when you can. Now, not that I can meet all the family obligations, uh, but however, when my, my boys were young and I had two, have two sons, when they had activities at school, I did my best to be there and I very rarely missed any of their sport events or, or their uh, plays or anything like that. That always got done, uh, but that may have meant that I worked a little bit later that night. So I just kind of took the attitude that you have to do whatever's important at the time, knowing that you're not going to have what's called life balance all the time, but maybe over the long period of time you've gotten some some balance in place because there's sometimes just emergencies come up on both places and you just really have to um, to put your time in where it's important at the moment and, and then do your best with the rest of it. Uh, and you know, I, that's, I'm talking mostly family and work, but there's community activities as well that that drop in there, and that's one place I really have enjoyed has been working with the community and in various roles that I've had, um, uh, and helping helping in those ways as well. I, I think it is important that we we do give back. How do you manage your time? Well, uh, you know, obviously anything that can get on the calendar it works best. So if, even if it's a community activity, if it's family activity, uh, get it on the calendar and the business calendar can sometimes work around that. But sometimes it can't. And, and so sometimes there's an obligation that you've got um, there as well. You know, as far as finding any personal time and quiet time, I love to run in the morning. If I can get out the door in the morning and get in uh, a nice run, that kind of starts my day well. It uh, takes away some of the stress, unless you have some quiet time to think, and um, seems to get me going well. So that's usually the time that's for myself is pretty early in the morning when I'm out running and, and doing that kind of thing. But managing time is always a challenge, and I think um, there, there's an art to it, obviously, and I'm not sure I've conquered it, but you just have to do your best. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. You have to do your best, and I, uh, my observation is that you do it very well. So, Oh, well, thank you. So, Elaine, your career has evolved and grown, and you've done a lot of things growing into a large firm in the industry. But if you look back at your career, what's maybe one of the riskiest things you've done thus far? 
I would say you know I started out in corporate America where working for a bank and with the CPA firm and actually the bank is where I first got my my opportunity to move into the trust division to start a financial planning practice so I often say if I would not have taken that opportunity um, and I didn't have to I could have stayed in the corporate bank I'm not sure I would have ever gotten the introduction to financial planning uh, you know I think a, a lot of people today come out of college with a, a degree in financial planning well back when I started that wasn't that wasn't possible and so uh, that introduction to financial planning which was uh, a profession that I loved kind of got me started and um, from there I ended up with a, a with a, a accounting firm being director of personal financial planning for them and then I went out on my own and I guess that step of going out on your own is is probably the most risky that you take because you just you, you don't know if you're going to be successful but um, it just seemed like the natural thing for me to do was to uh, to be out on my own. The bank and the CPA firm were great experiences. Um, learned a lot, you know, particularly with income tax, which is so important to our financial planning practice, as well as estate planning through the bank. I mean, so all of that was great education for me. But in each situation, it was also. Um, uh, my services were kind of the specialty services of the firm. It wasn't what they, you know, it was at the bank they want to make loans and take deposits. At the CPA firm you want to do audits and tax work. So I was just that specialty service. So being on your own, when anyone comes up to you at the door of your office, you know they're there for financial planning. They know what you do and uh, uh, we devote 100% of our time to that as well. So, uh, but going out your own can always be a little risky. Um, and I will say after that, the very, the, the, probably the hardest decision you make after that is to hire someone to help you because suddenly you're in a position where you're working to pay someone else and uh, you get what's left over. And uh, that probably was the second most um, risky or thing that gave me the most heartburn in trying to, to figure out to move forward like that. But it was also the best decision I ever made because once you hire someone who can take all of that administrative work, so somebody to do the paperwork, someone to do the phone calling, someone to doing some of those kinds of things where you could just do the important part of working with clients and, and getting um, plans together and doing investment portfolios and that type of thing made a lot of sense. So um, that's kind of been my experience. Yeah, and I can see that starting off on my own as well. I mean, it's it's risky in so many different ways. And I would also agree that hiring someone and then continuing to hire people um, who can do things that maybe we can't do or we could do something else if we hire them, some of the best uh, best decisions I know that I've made. So a question for you with financial services. I know that there are very few women, really statistically, um, in the financial services industry. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know because I really think the services that we provide are so well suited for women. Uh, just because, uh, and I know there's always exceptions to this, but I think women tend to really be good listeners. Uh, I think they're a little more empathetic with situations that your client may have and really dig into the details. Um, not that men don't do that. I think there's some that are very good at that, but I think women do have a strong suit in, in that many women do. And um, I think maybe they just get pushed off because they think there's more math than they want to do or there's more technical work than they want to do. And there is some of that. Um, but, you know, Women shouldn't shy away from that because I think you know once they get into it and they see how it all connects, it can make sense for them. But uh, um, it is interesting to see that we've been about 25% of the profession uh, 
for a very long time and we don't seem to be able to move that needle and hopefully with the opportunities that are now being presented in career paths and things like that more women will look at it as an opportunity and you know when you when you start having pushing it down to uh, the the colleges and universities that are now providing undergraduate degrees in financial planning, I think that will help. I mean, obviously, from that point of view, they get exposure to it early. They understand what it takes, and they can they can move in that direction. Now, as far as starting a business, you know, I think that um, uh, starting the business is a little scary to people, you know, male and female. And I think there's you've got to really want to do that. Um, you know, I think I, I usually say that, you know, you, first you you need to be uh, obviously very competent in the area before you start a business. You need to be um, uh, skilled. You need to be able to, to do the work. You need to be committed uh, to doing it. And then I think it always helps to be a little competitive because um, having a competitive spirit about it kind of, kind of says I'm going to make this work and it's going to be successful. I know being competitive made me work long nights when I would think, okay, I've got this this plan I need to get done for tomorrow morning and I'm going to put, I, I've got, oh, I think I have done, oh, there's one more thing I should put into that plan. Oh, it's so late. Then I also always think, well, my competitor would probably do it. So <laughs> I'm going to make sure I get it done so I don't have any disappointment from the client that you really kind of put 110%, 150% in everything that you do. But, you know, competence, um, commitment, and uh, being a little competitive, I think, makes sense. And, and, and not everybody has that desire to do that. I mean, I really do think when you're going to be a business owner, you need to know that you're going to put in more than a, an 8 to 5 day. Uh, it just requires that. And if you're not, uh, if you don't want to do that, that's okay because not everybody um, has that kind of desire. It doesn't mean that you can't be a really great contributor to a small firm as an employee or, or whatever, but um, I think being an owner takes a little bit more than that if you want to grow the firm and, and do those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in corporations and then also if you want to own your own business, there's this you know, kind of thought that women aren't standing up and they're not speaking up and they're not standing out and they're not doing the things both when they, you know, maybe that's a, I, I don't want to be self-promotional, so I'm not going to do this. Or maybe it's just, hey, listen, if I'm good, people will recognize it. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I know that there's the constant talk about, you know, women needing to speak up and stand out. And when I look at your career, I've seen someone who has done this, but do you think that that's one of the issues that maybe not necessarily inside of financial services, because we've got a recruiting issue for women inside of financial services as well, but just all across the board, do you think that that's a, that's a thing that women have of not speaking up and standing out? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think it can be a detriment. I mean, I can't say, um, I recognize that I, I tend to do that. I've, I've been in situations where I've been the only one to say something, and I will tell you, you get ostracized pretty quickly if people don't want to agree with what, that, even if it's the truth and even it ends up being the right thing. Uh, but I think it's important that you're willing to do that. It's the number of times I've had people come up to me after the after a meeting saying, "Oh, I was thinking the same thing. I'm really glad you said that." You know, I want to say, "Well, why didn't you say something?" But uh, <laughs> you know, it takes it takes a little courage to do that. So I think you really have to be guided by what you think is the right thing to do at the time. And in a meeting, whether you're with a client, whether you're with um, you know, a, a board meeting or whatever, I think you really need to think through your comment, obviously, but you need to you need to be you need to be willing to 
to say it and to go out on a limb because you'll be surprised how many, if you're thinking it and you're thinking about things correctly, you'd be surprised how many other people will say, I wish, I'm, I'm glad you said that and uh, because they didn't for whatever reason. If you're not correct, you probably will get some responses from people. And so when you say something that you're not sure of, you just say it in, in a format saying, well, in my opinion, or what I have observed, you know, is this correct? And kind of place it where I couldn't, I may not be right, but somebody give me some information that's better. If I am correct, then here's what I think. Um, you know, I, I, I think it is important that women take that that step and and find the courage to do that. You know, it's hard if you're sitting in a room where there's mostly um, men. Uh, I think it is difficult sometimes. You, if you have a few women in there together, I think it gets easier. And, um, you know, we just need to all work toward being able to do that, be it in the C-suite or being on the corporate board. Um, I'm putting a lot of effort into that now to try and bring a lot of women into those areas and, and have an opportunity to um, together, you know, you know, speak up and to... Uh, participate more fully in, in whatever the opportunity might be. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's great advice. Uh, I, I know that, you know, also you've been on TV, you do a weekly TV appearance on one of the local TV stations. You, you've been interviewed in the New York Times and USA Today and all of that. How do you prepare for that media interview? So you talk about, you know, preparing for the comments that you're going to say maybe in the boardroom or in a, in a business situation. But what about being on TV and doing that? How do you prepare for those sorts of things? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I am on TV uh, for about three minutes, only three minutes, uh, every Wednesday during the noon, um, noon to one o'clock news the daily news. So one of the local channels has me uh, down and we call it um, Your Money. And we come up with a topic every week that we talk about. And the way that started was in, I think it was around 2011 when, uh, maybe earlier than that, but the markets were going crazy and you know, things were just coming out of the financial crisis. And um, they called me and said, called the office and said, can Elaine come down and, and can we interview her about, you know, the stock market and what's going on? And of course, my assistant said, sure, we can get her down there, da, 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 da. And they'd call again and sometimes I'd be busy when they wanted to talk to me and sometimes we'd be able to get it in, but they were calling a little bit more regular. And, and finally, my assistant said, well, would you like to set up something every week and just put it on the calendar and, <laughs> and get her in there? Because my assistant took that initiative to ask. They said, that's a great idea. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> so I have been doing it ever since. And I think I think it probably was early 2011 that 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 occurred, and um, uh, I try and be as prepared as I can because obviously uh, sometimes they have topics they'd like me to talk about. But um, it started out I was always talking with the program director to say what should we talk about this week, and then I'd write up some questions uh, and a little bit of what my comments were going to be after that. But again, it's only three minutes, and of course with live TV you've got to be pretty precise and on that kind of timing. Um, so we started that way, and then suddenly it got to the point where I was just coming up with a topic every week and emailing it to them and uh, being helping them be prepared for the program and saying, here's, here's the three questions I need you to ask me through our conversation. Uh, it's worked out pretty well. And uh, the thing you really have to strive for is to be able to be as clear and concise as you can with your answers and to not get too much into the weeds, not to get too much into the details. My whole purpose is to bring a topic to the audience that will hopefully pique their interest, raise some issues, and encourage them. If this is if this is your situation, 
get get you know look into this more deeply or get get more assistance somewhere because in three minutes you can't you know give all the details of every strategy tax strategy or whatever it might be but we have a lot of general financial planning and investment management kind of topics that we talk about and so it's been a great partnership and uh, I know at some point in time they'll say well Elaine we really don't need you to come in anymore but uh, until that happens I'll take the opportunity to do it I enjoy doing it and uh, um, I hope it's my way of helping to kind of educate some of some of the community on some different things that they need to know. Yeah, and I think for some people it might be kind of intimidating to be on because actually three minutes is much more difficult than being on for ten minutes because in three minutes you've got to really be prepared as to what you're going to say and how you're going to frame it so that you get the important things out in the short period of time that you'll be on um, the TV or, or for any kind of an interview. So I, I, yeah, thank you for the, for the kind of ideas there. I, I know that myself, I, I try to prepare over prepare and sometimes it, you know, I'm preparing for the wrong thing. Cause if somebody else is interviewing you, you're, you know, you're not necessarily prepared for the questions that they may ask you, but if you're over prepared, I think you go in feeling confident, like whatever happens in here, it's going to be okay. Right. Well, I think that's that's right. I think what I have to say to myself, what are the important points I really want to get across in this conversation and keep those in mind? Because sometimes the questions don't always come out the way you anticipate they will. So you just have to know your topic and be able and listen to the, the question and respond in that in that way. And just keep in mind, here's the important things I need to get across. And and it all seems to work out. So. And there are, there's also the political way of doing that, which is a lot of politicians will answer whatever question they want to answer, even if that wasn't the one that was asked. Yeah. And that's also exactly. a strategy. <laughs> I guess it is, but um, I don't think that works very well. I don't think I'd be uh, invited back over and over if, if that would be the case. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So I know a little bit about your firm, and I know some of the employees at your firm. And one of the things that has most impressed me, I think, about the, the work that you've done is actually the commitment and the loyalty and the respect in a really big way that your employees have for you. How did you accomplish this? Because I think it's something that some that we look at this and go, wow, I wish that that, you know, I wish that I had this loyalty of my team. And, you know, can you give any advice on how you accomplish that? Wow. Uh, well, uh, it's good to hear. I mean, you know, I don't know that I ever assume that kind of loyalty. It's, so it's very nice when it happens. Um, I don't. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I try and give everyone a, a, a great opportunity here. I hope that the and my goal is to always have their get them to the position that really fits their talents, so that they um, love what they do, they're comfortable with what they do, they're good at what they do. Um, you know, a lot of them know that there's other things within their job that maybe they don't like as well, or it's mundane. But you know, they know that it's important to the firm to get it done, and. Um, you know, I certainly appreciate everything that they do, and I hope they understand that. I think there, you know, when I look at myself, I probably don't say thank you enough. I probably don't say you're doing a great job um, as much as I should. Um, I try and do it, but you know, I'm it, my own personality falls in there where I get busy with things, and and you know, I I don't really. I'm not one of those people that needs that, that type of encouragement a lot from others, but I know many people that's an important part of their job, part, important part of you know how they feel appreciated, and so I always try and and be conscious of that. Maybe just being conscious of it means I I do get it done more than I realize, but um, you know it, you try and hire good people and. I've been very fortunate, absolutely very fortunate. We're slow to hire, very slow to hire sometimes, and I, I feel bad for some of our applicants and 
and we talk to some of the people that we ask some of the people we finally do hire, well, did you think the process was a little long? Uh, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, in a small business, every time you bring in someone new, you bring in a new personality, and that's going to change the mix of the group. And so you want to make sure that it's, a, it's the type of personality who will, um, you know, be able to do what they need to do for the firm, but also match the rest of the group. And um, I do think we have a group that really values um, ethics. They value fairness. Um, they value providing great service to our clients. And when you can find someone who's got that kind of makeup, you know, they really enjoy doing a great job, um, it works. And uh, we've been very fortunate to have some, some great individuals. So yeah. thank you for well, saying that. Well, you're welcome. And, and I, I totally believe it because I see it. What, you know, in your career, what has been the most surprising thing perhaps that's happened to you? Good or maybe not so good, but but good. I mean, I think in what's the most surprising thing you go, I never thought this would happen, but it did. Um, well, you know, I think when you start out, just getting to that first $100 million under management. You know, we're fee-only planners, so, you know, we do a lot on the financial planning side, and then we also manage money for, for clients for a fee. So I've never been in the brokerage industry. You know, being with a bank and a CPA firm, that's kind of the mentality that I came into this as, as being more fee-only uh, versus coming from insurance or the, or the brokerage world where you're used to that commission selling. And so, um, you know, we're, we've got, we're gathering clients, we're doing assets under management, and I, I do remember one time, if I could just get to a hundred million. Uh, and now we're, we're approaching a billion. So I mean, it's, it's that kind of surprise that, wow, it, uh, if you focus, it really does, does work. And um, uh, so I guess the, the nicest, the biggest surprise, the nice surprise has been how successful we've been. You know, you kind of have to keep your nose to the grindstone and keep working and don't assume anything. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the easiest road in the world to, to grow a firm, but you know, once things start on the right path, uh, it's very, very rewarding. And uh, um, so we've been fortunate. But I, I think that's been the greatest, the greatest joy is is that we have been able to grow, and because of that, we've grown with number of employees. And um, uh, you know, the more employees you have, then sometimes the, the more varied services that you can provide to your clients and the more backup you can have. I mean, I love it that I can say to my clients that, you know, if something happens to me or if I'm not here, you've, you've got a talented team working with you now, and they'll, all, they'll, they'll continue to be here even if I'm not. And I think that answers questions in a lot of people's mind because everyone is talking about succession planning and who's going to take over and how's it going to work. And I think that um, we've worked very hard at uh, making sure I have a good leadership team in place so that the firm actually can run without me here because people are making decisions over the planning process and the investment process and, and everything in between. And uh, um, I think having that, that team in place uh, spreads the responsibility and it's not just all on me as it was when I started this business. And uh, I think clients appreciate that as well because you know, as as I get older, they're wondering, well, how long is she going to be working? Well, they don't have to worry about that as much because they know that uh, the people behind me are, are very high-quality people doing a great job for them, and, and I think that that relaxes our clients a little bit. So I'm also proud of the fact that we started early on, on trying to look at ways to do that and to get um, clients not affiliated just with one person in the firm, but to understand that they've got the whole firm working for them, even though maybe their contact, they have Everybody has two people right now assigned to them, and that seems to give them, like I said, a lot of comfort. 
Yeah, I know you've been very involved in the community and lots of charities you've been active in. What's one where you really feel like there was a lot of work been done and results to show for it? What's one sort of charity that you've worked with that you'd like to share with us? Uh, Well, I am just uh, finishing up my two-year term as chair of the Women's Fund of Central Indiana. And it's an organization that focuses on... um, the welfare of women and girls in central Indiana and to help um, them get to a point of financial security with the whole theory or well, I think it's even more than a theory it really has been proven out that if women in your community are doing well families do better communities do better and we have focused on the needs of um, of women and you know helping them you know, we've really focused on childcare because a lot of times that's a barrier to employment education issues um, uh, uh, violence issues, you know, how can we help when there's abuse, abusive situations. So we are an endowment. So we don't do the work, but we, f- we provide grants to organizations in central Indiana, women and girls serving organizations that, that provide services that we think are important. And um, that has been very rewarding. Uh, we've just kind of elevated our game because we were looking for something in the 18 to 25 year old we felt that that was an area that was underserved young emerging female adults that were coming out of wherever high school or coming out of uh, situations where they weren't getting the services and when we talked to our local group of agencies that there wasn't there was a void there mainly because that's a tough group to deal with because they all think they already know everything there is to know and and really aren't looking for help and there's so many people that are older than that that the agencies were really focused on those where they could provide provide suitable services and so um we looked around the country to see if there was anything anywhere that was meeting this need of the 18 to 25 year old and we found nothing so we went about um trying to create our own and what we did we felt that there's got to be someone out there there's some social entrepreneur that has an idea that just needs to have the funding and the structure to make it work so we did a national call for our fellows and we called it the next initiative you know what's next the next initiative Um, and we went through a process that brought in I think 60 different applications into our fellowship process. We vetted all of those, came down and interviewed um, four or five, and then came down to two individuals with on one project who now became our fellows that we are going to provide a, uh, um, a nice wage and benefits. They have two years to incubate their idea and then um, we will support them for another eight years. So 10 full years will support this organization to get it up and running. Uh, and the winning um, project is what we'll call an urban farm for for, for right now. It's, like I said, just into the incubator stage right now. And it is going to be focused on uh, nonviolent ex-offenders, so women coming out of the prison system who really need a lot of wraparound services to help them get on their feet and get started. There may be mental health issues, there may be just skill gaps, education, um, social needs, so we're, it's going to be a residential project where they'll live on an urban farm and they will work the farm basically and learn the skills not that they're all going to be 
farmers, that's not the intent, but that they will learn valuable skills from that that can be transferable to something else. Whole purpose is to get them out and on their own, hopefully within a couple year time period where they can be um, back into the community and being financially secure themselves. So it's a big job, but it's, it's very rewarding to think that we've been part of that and, and putting that together. Um, so I've really enjoyed working with the Women's Fund. It's absolutely incredible. How can people find out more about the Women's Fund? Womensfund.org. Womensfund.org. And it's interesting. You'll, you'll come to the Women's Fund for Central Indiana. There are other Women's Fund around the country, but ours, our, we've, we've got that, um, that uh, website of just womensfund.org. Well, that, that's incredible. And, you know, it has been absolutely wonderful speaking with you today, Elaine. I've learned um, a lot and I, I thought I knew a lot already um, about you. And so thank you so much for sharing your insights with the Female Red Zone today. Well, you're quite welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. And from the Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.